If you're a leader or an aspiring leader in the business of lifelong learning, you're in the right place. I'm Salisa Steele. And I'm Jeff Cobb. And this is the Leading Learning Podcast. Hey there, we are back after a brief pause, a little bit of a hiatus there, with a new episode of the Leading Learning Podcast. And this time we're actually following on to a webinar that that we did recently. We promised during the webinar that uh, we would use the podcast as a way to uh, answer some questions that we didn't get to during the webinar and uh, also just to give a little bit more insight. And, And that webinar was about... The Association Learning Plus Technology Report, and this is the fourth time we've uh, issued this report. It's based on uh, survey data. We go out and survey membership organizations via an online survey. And again, this is the fourth time we've done it. It's always very interesting to us to sort of find out how organizations are using technology for learning if they're using technology for learning. And we started it, if I remember right, in uh, 2009 was the first time. That's right. Yeah, and we we conduct a a survey, you know, to go out and um, get that information, find out what organizations are doing, and then, you know, try to digest that, reflect on it, analyze it, uh, and give some opinions about what's actually going on out there in the sector. And so in the the webinar that we held, we um, spent some time going through some of the the major data from the reports and uh, from the report and also, you know, offering uh, our perspective on how it actually uh, applies to what organizations are doing. And um, and we did get quite a lot of questions uh, during the webinar. In fact, we had close to 500 people uh, registered for that webinar, um, you know, close to 300 who were actually there live. And we really had a flood of questions and could not get to all of them. So again, we're going to spend some time during this uh, uh, podcast going through them. Before we dive into the questions, so I do want to be sure to, uh, we both want to be sure to thank YM Learning, uh, formerly Digital Ignite, for sponsoring the Association Learning Plus Technology report, um, as well as the webinar that uh, that we held to go over the report. And, and Tamer Ali uh, from YM Learning was actually on the webinar with us and gave his perspectives as well. So in terms of digging into to some of the questions And, that and we maybe got, before we do that, why don't we tell folks where they can get the report in case they want to uh, take a look yeah. at it? <laughs> that would be a great point as well. So if you want to grab that report, that is, it's a, it's a free report. Uh, we do ask you, you sign up to get it, uh, but you don't have to pay anything to get it. And you can just go to the show notes for this episode which is uh, leadinglearning.com forward slash episode 18. And you will see the information there for how to sign up and automatically get the, the full Association Learning Plus Technology Report, which has uh, you know our, our take on things and also all of the data too. We include the, uh, the data from the survey in the appendix. So you get to, it's a pretty valuable uh, document in, in our opinion. Yeah, so it's about 64 pages. Um, like you said, Jeff, the appendix has all of the, the survey data, but then um, kind of the, the body of the report is um, taking a look at the data and some of the implications that we see for it. And what we did during the webinar was, as you said, focus on some of what we saw as kind of the 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 particularly interesting um, points of data and looking at some of the implications. And um, we had 
like you said, a lot of folks sign up. We had a lot of folks participate, and we had um, some questions we weren't able to get to during the webinar. We thought, well, this will be good, um, uh, something good to focus on during a podcast episode. And so a lot of those questions, and, and actually the, the number along these lines, um, kind of surprised us a, a little bit had to do with um, defining uh, some of the, the terms we were using and defining some of the formats that uh, that we were talking about during the webinar. And, and we made a, a conscious decision going into the webinar that we weren't going to spend a lot of time on that. We really wanted to focus on the data. And, you know, we made the assumption that most of the people signing up for our webinars are familiar with our work to some degree and then by extension are familiar with a lot of these terms and definitions. But, but clearly that wasn't true um, in the context of the webinar. A lot of questions about um, things like, you know, learning management systems, uh, learning content management systems, and some of the emerging formats like microlearning and MOOCs and, uh, um, you know, gamified learning, those sorts of terms. Yeah, so maybe we can just start with some of the technology platforms. I mean, you mentioned LMS and LCMS, and that definitely came up as a question. So LMS standing stands for Learning Management System. LCMS stands for Learning Content Management System. And, you know, I, I think um, both those types of systems have been around for a, a long time. I do think that there's some potential confusion in the sense that there's been a lot of blurring of the lines. I mean, mm-hmm. I think it used to be more that one a system was one or the other. It really was a learning management system, meaning more about the delivery of, of learning the and the tracking of learning. Uh, and LCMS, the learning content management systems, were really more about the creation of learning and sort of how do you have a repository of learning objects that you can repurpose and reuse over time. So they used to kind of be two different beasts. I think we have seen a lot of the blurring of the lines where you have systems that have a little bit of um, you know, maybe a learning management system that has um, a little bit of LCMS-like functionality because you can maybe do some authoring and maybe um, create and store some some learning content. And then I think some of the LCMSs have also, you know, basically introduced lightweight, you know, learning management systems so you can launch, you know, content and serve it up to learners directly from them. Right. And this is an issue that we've talked about in our uh, selecting a learning management system webinars, which is, a, you know, one of our popular offerings. Um, and there can be some confusion there, but I, th- but I think, you know, for the terms themselves, and I certainly got the impression during the webinar that, that some folks weren't necessarily even familiar with the terms, you know, not, not so much the blurring of the lines. And, you know, I think as far as that goes, I mean, we're at a point now where you said they've been around for a long time. I mean, it's been decades um, that, that the learning management systems and learning content management systems have been out there. Uh, LMS, LCMS, those are no longer jargon in any way, shape, or form. Those are terms of the trade. And I think, you know, anybody who's in the education business, whether you're on the front lines or whether you're at an executive level, it doesn't matter. You know, those are the types of terms that uh, you have to be familiar with at this point if, you, if you're really serious about being in the education business. And, you know, I, I would I would challenge um, folks who are on the webinar who maybe, you know, weren't quite as familiar with those terms to, to, to spend a little bit of time finding out more about them if, if you don't uh, know about them at this point. And I think the same is actually true of some of the emerging technologies that we talked about. Yeah, I mean, we, we characterize them or um, sort of categorize them as emerging um, uh, formats for learning. But really, again, many of these have been around for a while. For an example, we talked about massive open online courses or MOOCs, and those have been around for what? Uh, well, I think, you know, the, the first sort of 
formally recognized one was probably in 2009 uh, with George Siemens and, and Stephen Downs. But, you know, they, they preceded that. And even since then, I mean, this is mainstream media stuff. Yeah. MOOCs have made, you know, the cover of the New York Times, Wall Street Journal. They're, they're big companies involved with that. that that's true of MOOCs. Um, it, it's true of things like digital badging. Uh, it's true of things like Flipped Classroom with the initi- initiatives like Khan Academy. Um, you know, so again, you know, if these, if these are the types of uh, formats and terms uh, that folks at organizations are, are not familiar with at this point, uh, you, you need to take it as a personal challenge to, to get familiar with them. This is kind of the, it's the price of entry at this point. Um, you, you have to be fluent in the language of learning, and these are very much part of the language of learning these days. And, and we'll give you the fact that different people will use these terms slightly differently, but still you can easily go out, Google something, get a sense for um, what these formats are. And yeah, maybe not everybody agrees 100% on exactly what constitutes micro learning, you know, how small does it have to be to count as micro learning, but at least you can get the idea of, okay, this is about short, um, you know, learning experiences that can be, you know, particularly useful for reinforcement or, or just in time learning. So, yeah, I think it is, the, the onus needs to be on um, folks working in learning and education to make sure that they are fluent in the, the terms. Now, all of that said, we do give you know a, a primer on these emerging types of learning in the report itself. So we talk about micro-learning, we talk about MOOCs, the massive open online courses, gamified learning, uh, flipped classes, uh, d- digital badges and, and, and micro-credentials. Um, we define uh, and, and talk about uh, each of these in a, in a little primer in the report. So that information is there. We do talk about you know learning management system, learning content management system. Uh, the, you know, these, are, these are terms that we do uh, make clear in the context of the report uh, so we're not just sort of you know hanging out to <laughs> out to dry there but um, but we do challenge folks to to make sure you are you know digging in and familiarizing yourself with these sorts of terms now we did too you know as, as we were discussing formats we had some interesting questions come up and we thought we'd highlight uh, some of them here one person on the webinar asked about the concept of subscription learning and, and we did actually address this some um, in the context of the webinar but we find this interesting enough that we, we wanted to raise it in the podcast too because we feel like uh, this is a model um, that uh, ha- has a lot of potential for associations and, and subscription learning is just basically the idea that you're gonna you know sign up subscribe to to some sort of service that's going to provide a continuous stream of learning over time. And, and that may be micro learning, these sort of, you know, short, brief pieces of learning uh, that Salisa was just referring to, um, or maybe, you know, somewhat longer form learning. But in, in, in any case, the you know, idea that, you know, for six months, for a year, whatever the period is, you're going to get this, this steady stream of uh, subscription type content. And we think, you know, that for organizations that are really trying to stay uh, engaged or, or trying to engage people over time um, or trying to continually uh, uh, put new knowledge, uh, help facilitate the knowledge and learning within a field or industry. This is a, this is a particularly powerful model and we, we've not seen a lot of uptake yet and we didn't ask specifically about this in the survey. It's, it's, kinda, it's a little bit of a hard question to get at, you know, to make sure that uh, the, the people that are responding are really uh, are, are looking at it in a similar enough way for us to be able to get good data but we do expect that as things like microlearning um, uh, take hold, that uh, more and more organizations are going to embrace this concept of subscription learning. You sign up for a subscription and you get this trickle of content uh, out uh, over time. So we, we wanted to mention that again in the context of this podcast because we think that is going to be a very important phenomenon going forward. We also had a question about uh, mobile learning, and that is something that we did ask about uh, in the survey. and 
as you'll see when you look at the report and, and look at how we phrase survey questions, we tended to be pretty broad and inclusive uh, in our definition. So, for example, when we were asking about M learning, you know, we said just do you provide a mobile version, i.e., a version specifically formatted to be easily viewed and navigated on a mobile phone or tablet device? So, do you provide a mobile version for some? or all of your learning content. So, you know, it's not doesn't necessarily mean that an organization has, you know, gone whole hog and has, you know, is developing M learning for absolutely everything they offer, but we just wanted to find out how many organizations were paying attention to M learning. And, and quite a few are paying attention at this point. Yeah, uh, 41% of, of the respondents who say they're using technology uh, for learning said that they do have uh, a mobile version of at least some of their content. And then we also asked not just are you doing it now, but do you plan to in the year ahead and another rough, roughly a quarter, so 26.4%, a little over a quarter, said that they aren't doing M-learning now, but plan to in the coming year. And so, you know, this again could be a significant area of growth. It could be one of the major delivery mechanisms for the, the subscription learning that we were just talking about. It can certainly be a delivery mechanism for micro learning, that the brief snippets of learning, which might be delivering a, a video with some new knowledge. Um, for example, we know some of the accounting societies out there, for example, are getting into 10 minute CPE, uh, continuing professional education units now that uh, in, in most cases is being delivered by mobile phone. Organizations that are in the, um, the certification realm and need to do uh, test prep um, delivering, you know, short quizzing and, and testing via mobile phones, which is another form of micro learning and, and mobile supports that very well. Again, you know, we think there's a lot of potential there and we're seeing some, you know, some platforms come along that support that uh, very well and we expect to see some growth in those in the coming years. So some, some really great things going on in, in, in terms of, of formats, in terms of how organizations are embracing new formats. And, and again, you know, not to beat a dead horse, but, you know, to, to familiarize yourself uh, through this report and just through your own efforts, if, if you don't feel fluent in, in some of these terms that we're talking about, to get fluent with them because this is... You need to know what the tools are as you're considering your strategy going forward. And we're going to talk about strategy here in a little bit um, as well. But if you, if you don't know the tool sets that uh, you could potentially deal with, it's hard to think as innovatively and creatively about your strategy for learning going forward. So let's talk a little bit more about platforms. We touched on platforms from kind of the terminology standpoint when we talked about LMS versus LCMS, but we had other questions come up around platforms uh, during the webinar. Yeah, we had uh, one of the big ones that came up was just around uh, scale and, you know, our learning management systems and these other platforms, are those really just better suited for larger organizations, um, you know, because it's going to require some investment, uh, obviously, both in terms of money and staff. Do you just not do that sort of thing if you're for maybe a smaller or medium-sized organization? And, you know, both in terms of our own experience and the survey data, we just don't really see that. I mean, if you look at, uh, as we did, the use of um, some of these platforms like learning management systems or even more pointedly with uh, webinar platforms, I mean, it really just doesn't matter about the size of the organization. And by size, I'm thinking both in terms of budget and in terms of staff size. I mean, there are some very small organizations making use of these platforms. And I think that speaks to a couple of points. One is, is that I think the platforms have gotten a lot 
easier to use over time. You know, you've got, uh, you know, stuff hosted in the cloud now. So, you know, you don't have to have the, the IT staff or something to support uh, something being actually, you know, physically on servers at your location. Um, and they've just gotten easier to use too from an administrative uh, standpoint. So I think that, um, you know, again, size doesn't really seem to matter. And in fact, um, making use of a technology platform really can help you leverage the staff um, that you have. And you can actually, with small staff, achieve a lot because these platforms can give you the tools to do that. Yeah, definitely. You can seem like a much bigger organization if you, you know, uh, implement a relatively uh, straightforward, low-cost learning platform and just really use it well to get education out to your membership base. And somebody also asked, you know, as far as that goes, um, you know, is there a checklist that you can follow? And this was also sort of based on, you know, size of organization uh, as one of the factors, but a a checklist and we're assuming of things like, you know, features and capabilities that you might look for in in selecting a, a particular learning platform. And um, yes, I mean, definitely, you know, you want you want to be able to go through a, a list of things that you're looking for. We would say back up, though, and first of all, make sure you're dealing with platforms that really uh, understand and are built to accommodate the needs of the Trade and Professional Association market. And that's going to mean a number of things. One is, you know, if, if you need e-commerce in your learning management system, uh, your webinar platform, whatever it is, um, you know, most of the, the, the commercial platforms are much more oriented towards the corporate market or they're in the academic market and they're accustomed to being hooked into student registration systems. They won't have that e-commerce capability. So, you know, make sure that's there. Make sure that they're familiar with integrating with uh, an association management system, a membership management database. Again, a lot of the uh, the platforms out there have not really done that. You want to know that that uh, is a capability that they have. And then, you know, all of the, ed- the, the requirements that come around continuing education, you know, the issuance of credit, the management of credit certificates, um, being able to track uh, uh, certification path over time, those sorts of things. You want to make sure that all of that stuff is there in the, in the first place as you're considering the range of uh, features and functionalities that, uh, that your organization needs in a platform. And then you're going to want to think, of th- think about things like, you know, um, format um, and, you know, how important assessment is to you. Uh, just, you know, uh, your, your learning strategy and, and how the platform needs to support the learning strategy. So much less to do with, you know, size of organization uh, or even budget level per se. Um, it really is, you know, what are we trying to achieve here with our membership base w- with this system? And, uh, and then what are the capabilities that we actually need in, in the system to, uh, to support that? And, and, you know, use that as a driver for the, the checklist. We will also include in the, in the show notes to this episode a, a list of uh, questions that we recommend that you think through and they may not all apply to your organization, but a lot of them will, um, and you can use that as a framework as a, as a, to create your checklist and, and going out to, to, to vendors. And I'll also mention that we do um, really emphasize that need to think first at um, the higher level of being really clear on what your overarching objectives are for the system, and in fact, our next leading learning webinar that we're going to do on February 18th is going to be around um, learning management selection and really looking at a process that that we use Um, and so it'll get more specific into that so if that's something of of interest to you 
we will uh, include in the show notes a, a link to how to register for that free webinar. That's right. And if you haven't picked up on it so far, uh, checking out the show notes to go along with the podcast can be an important part of your listening experience. So we're going to have a lot of information in the show notes this time. We do know one thing we did want to make sure we touched on in this podcast around um, platforms because it came up during the, the webinar. We weren't able to address it was the, um, or we weren't able to address it fully, I guess. We did talk about it a little bit, uh, is, is the the issue of personalization. And somebody had asked about, you know, how personalized learning is affecting the industry. And this is the idea that, you know, you're going to be able to really shape uh, choices uh, to fit a learner's needs um, and, and help a learner access the learning that is, you know, uh, most uh, aligned with their particular uh, educational needs. And, and, and certainly we have seen a lot along these lines, but most of what we've seen so far has been in terms of, you know, providing recommendations, uh, ratings, those sorts of things and, and systems. Yeah. So basically kind of the, from the marketing standpoint, you know, if you are interested in, you know, this course experience, may we also recommend this other course experience. So you're you're taking a look at what people have done in the system before, trying to use that to get a sense of their interests and the skills that they need to develop and then recommend uh, other content. And that's where we've seen some systems get pretty good at that in terms of, of of having the the algorithms behind the system that can help automate those those recommendations from the marketing standpoint. Yeah, so a little bit of that, uh, you know, Amazon.com type experience uh, without, you know, maybe going quite that far. And we hear again and again from organizations that, uh, you know, they really would like to be the Amazon.com of their uh, their audience, their 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 membership base. And that we're, I think we're certainly going to see much more movement in, in that direction. From the standpoint, though, of really creating, you know, tailored, highly personalized learning experiences where content is, you know, really being served up dynamically based on what the learner's done in the past, the expressed needs of the learner, uh, what's already happened in the system. You know, we're not seeing as much of that kind of thing happening. And a lot of organizations would like to get there. They'd like to be highly personalized uh, in that way. But um, but we have to wonder, you know, if, if it's really worth that level of investment in, in, in most instances. In most instances, it may really be that your, you know, your traditional place-based meetings, your, your, your smaller uh, collaborative type activities are, are the better way to get at that rather than trying to come up with a, you know, really heavy-duty technological algorithmically uh, driven solution for really deeply personalizing learning as, as, as seductive as that idea may be. Yeah, no, I think it's definitely a, a great goal to have in mind, right? You really want to be delivering the right content to, to the, the audience. Um, but right to your point, it may not be purely technology driven or, or even primarily technology driven. The way to do that may be around, okay, let's craft these um, uh, learning opportunities that really are for a more focused audience, like you're saying, maybe smaller place-based gatherings could could fit that um, purpose as much as something that is more algorithmically based. Which falls in the realm of what we've described as, as boutique learning in, uh, in, in previous podcast uh, episodes and, and something we'll be writing about more going forward. What, one other uh, question we wanted to highlight uh, in the, the platform area, and, and this one I'm actually going to uh, kind of probably read out pretty much verbatim. We did try to address it some in the context of the webinar, but we thought it was one that was important enough to, to come back to in, in the context of this podcast. And the question was, uh, currently... Our online learning platform hasn't been extensively used by our members and meeting attendees. However, there is a sense that in the future, there will be greater interest in this possible functionality. What happens, though, if you build it and no one comes? It feels like that wouldn't be strategic, data-driven decision-making. 
And so this person is worried, as so many organizations are, that you know they're going to put uh, a lot of money, time, effort into putting a platform in place, and you know it's the, the build it and no one will come uh, sort of thing. And you know we have at least a couple perspectives on that. Uh, one is just that you know as, as long as you are being judicious, conservative about it, not you know uh, way overspending or putting you know too much staff time into it getting a platform up and just building the capabilities, building the internal competencies around managing that, uh, figuring out the ins and outs uh, uh, from an operational perspective, from a marketing perspective, uh, just you know, building your chops basically uh, around delivering uh, technology-based learning is just something you got to do as an organization right now. You've got to build that competency. So even if initially they're not coming uh, just from the standpoint of uh, organizational capabilities, getting that platform in place, I, I think is a worthwhile investment to, to make. Yeah, and the survey data, we, you know, again, we're uh, hoping, assuming you're going to take a look at the report if, if this is of interest to you. So we haven't been sharing too much of the bits of data, but one piece that I will share here, because I think it makes the, the point that you're getting at here, Jeff. I mean, the we asked just uh, kind of an upfront question about does your organization currently offer technology enabled or technology enhanced learning and of the membership organization surveyed 87.4% are currently using technology to enable or enhance learning and then uh, another about 8.6% are planning to within the year so really it is it doesn't seem like this is you know we, we are way past this being you know a fad you know it seems like technology to support learning is here to stay so to your point you do need to be building some capabilities around that yeah so this is you know this is standard operating procedure basically so that that's part of the uh uh the question or answer to the question and then of course you know the other part of this uh is strategy and, and goes to the heart of where strategy factors into using technology to enable and to enhance learning we asked in the survey behind the report about strategy, we asked if organizations have a formal documented strategy that covers how technology is, is going to be used for learning, and 71.9% said they do not have such a strategy. And that's been true over the years. We've consistently seen that uh, organizations do not have a uh, strategy in place, uh, or at least a formal documented strategy. I mean, you know, uh, obviously there's probably some back of envelope stuff going on here. Uh, but, you know, we, we are reaching a point where, you know, if you're going to be putting the resources into putting a platform in place, if you're really trying to scale uh, your education business, have more impact with your education business, I mean, the competition is going up. There's a lot of money being invested in the adult learning uh, sector. And, you know, more and more, you're going to have to have a fairly buttoned up approach to strategy. And somebody had asked in the webinar, you know, so what would the actions, what actions would we recommend for putting a strategy in place? And, you know, we're not going to be able to cover that fully in the context of this podcast. But, you know, number one rule always is to start with the the outcome in mind. I mean, in what concrete ways are you trying to improve the situation of your audience your your membership base what does that really look like and you know i think a uh uh 
something I'd add to that that we didn't discuss in, in, in the webinar is don't make any assumptions in, in doing that. You know, very often strategy is driven, and this isn't uh, just in the association sector. This is, you know, one of the sort of sins of strategy in, in general. It tends to be driven by people who are, you know, very focused within the organization, and that can even include volunteers, you know, because a lot of times you have, you know, the, the same volunteers years year over year uh, who have their particular perspective. So, don't make any assumptions about the outcomes you're trying to produce for your membership base or your broader audience. Get uh, a very diverse set of data to consider in setting strategy. And that means, you know, traditional tools like going out and doing surveys. Make sure you're asking the right kinds of questions. We can't really get into to that in, in any detail uh, during this podcast, but, you know, asking the right types of questions, asking a broad um, swath uh, of your user base uh, the, the, the questions in, in, in a variety of ways. Looking at their actual behavior, um, you know, a lot of times questions get asked about preferences uh, when you really need to be looking at behavior. What are people actually doing? Um, really getting a gauge on, on what's going on out there in the marketplace. But you want those outcomes well-defined with as few assumptions as possible. And then you work back from there to, to set strategy. So, you know, from the outcomes you're trying to achieve, you set your overall strategic objectives. Then you look at, you know, how does it make sense for learning and education to support those objectives? And then finally, what kinds of technology are needed to facilitate the delivery uh, of those sorts of educational experiences that are ultimately going to produce the outcomes that we want for our audience. You know, and, and all of that's easy to, to say, and certainly we're not the first people to, to say that on, on, on this podcast or something similar to it. It all comes down, though, to discipline and to leadership. And we, we've said again and again over the years that, uh, you know, there needs to be more executive level involvement in what's going on with uh, the education business, the learning business for organizations. Um, there needs to be a, a, a real leadership focus, uh, real uh, discipline, discipline applied to both creating and implementing strategy. Um, but in many, many organizations, you know, this is the, the it's, it's something we've always done. We've done meetings um, forever. We brought people together forever. We now kind of layer on the, the technology and the online components, but without fully thinking it through and without applying that discipline of here are the outcomes we're trying to achieve and working back to here's how technology really supports that. Yeah, and we, and we did have a question that came up during the webinar, which was around, you know, is the fact that there's not very much strategy related to the fact that, you know, technology is evolving and changing so much. And really our perspective on that is that you especially need to have a strategy in place when things are evolving and changing so much because that's going to give you the discipline to focus on the technologies that are going to help you achieve, you know, those outcomes that you've uh, identified. And without that, you really can be sort of stumbling around and, you know, trying this platform one day and trying that format, you know, the other day. And, and while we're all in favor of experimentation, we're in, in favor of, uh, of, of thoughtful experimentation. Strategic experimentation. Strategic experimentation. <laughs> right. right. And so, and then, you know, one of the things that, um, that we did ask about in the survey and talked about in, in the report is the leadership around, um, uh, education businesses, and particularly what's happening at the executive level with uh, education businesses. In the survey behind this report for the first time, we asked a, a question about uh, chief learning officers or a similar position. So we asked, does anyone at your organization hold the title of chief learning officer or a similar C-level title that references learning, education, or knowledge? And this was the first time we 
had asked this question, but it's something that's been of interest to us, this idea of kind of how high up in an organization uh, is learning um, and, and, and our learning and education given, um, you know, visibility at that highest level. And for us, the question sort of seems like a, a potentially good barometer of kind of, yeah, how much respect learning is getting within the organization. And we were pleasantly surprised to to see that um, 42.2% of respondents said that, yes, they do have someone in a CLO or similar position. And uh, we got some questions during the webinar about, you know, well, what are some of the demographics of the organizations that have a CLO, meaning, you know, is it a the bigger organizations tend to have CLOs and really um, bigger in the sense of staff size. Yes, we do see that they tend to be somewhat larger. Um, but in terms of budget size, no, I mean, not necessarily. So I, I think that uh, to our mind, again, it's about kind of the respect for education and learning and how um, how important a role that plays in the organization. And that can be true of any organization of any size. I mean, if, if your mission, if what you're about is uh, around education and learning in large part, then it makes sense to have someone in, in a C-level position um, overseeing that. Uh, and but we do get it that at smaller organizations, it is likely to be something where, you know, education and learning may be kind of the one of many hats that, that someone is wearing there. And I know we also got uh, another question around um, the CLO in the sense of, you know, what if we don't have a chief learning officer, but, you know, I want to help advocate for one. So there was a, a question around how can we, um, you know, help convince the organization that, that we need someone in that executive role. Right. You know, and, and I mean, this will vary a lot from organization to organization. I mean, the, the first thing I would say relative to that is, it, you know, it doesn't necessarily have to be a chief learning officer exactly. That, that, that doesn't have to be the exact title. Um, you know, what we're getting at here is somebody who is at the executive level of, of the organization and, and is in charge of learning and education that, that the uh, organization offers. And that in some organizations, that may be a VP level. In some organizations, it may be a director level. Um, but just, you know, what is that sort of executive level? And if you've got people at that level doing membership, if you've got people at that level, you know, doing technology or, or, or marketing, for example, then you really ought to have somebody there uh, doing education, learning, knowledge uh, type uh, initiatives. And there are a number of ways to come at that. I mean, one is just to, to point out that disparity in the first place, if it exists in your organization. I mean, if you've got somebody in that sort of executive role in technology, for most organizations, you sure as heck ought to have somebody uh, in, in education because education is generally generating revenue and is providing a fundamental uh, service related to the mission. So, you know, that kind of logical argument uh, is there in the first place. But, you know, the, the other uh, approaches to take, and, and one we discussed in the webinar, was that um, we're seeing a lot of the impetus from this now come from boards. Um, board members are, are waking up to what's going on out there in, in terms of serving membership. I mean, they are part of the membership, you know, so they have their own lifelong learning needs, and they're experiencing other things in other places, and a lot of times are, you know, bringing this to bear on the organization. Now, depending on where you are in the organization, you may or may not have direct access to the board, but the board are volunteers, and typically, you know, working up through that volunteer chain um, in, into the board or, you know, garnering volunteer feedback in, in general, you can create some pressure around uh, having this executive level um, learning position. Um, you know, beyond that, certainly being able to make your business case and, and demonstrate that uh, A, you're, you know, you're generating revenue, um, B, that it's, you know, 
typically central to the mission. In fact, education is usually stated uh, in the mission. Um, and so, you know, making that clear. And in some cases, you know, it's, it's also just maybe reframing um, what you're up to. Like, you know, for a lot of organizations, meetings really are uh, where the education occurs. And you may have somebody at that level uh, who's dealing with meetings, but it hasn't really been reconceptualized as a learning or a uh, education type position um, when it, it really should be. And finally, I would say, you know, look out at the broader environment in which you're working, because some of the places where we do see movement towards chief learning officer type positions or executive level positions are in the professions and the fields where competition is growing and where the emphasis on learning has been growing. And if you look at the, the commercial uh, organizations, the companies, the corporations that are in those markets, they have that chief learning officer position. Talent is extremely important in those markets. And I'm thinking uh, particularly of areas like accounting, medical, legal, those types of professions. You tend to see CLOs uh, in, in a lot of the, uh, in those types of professions. And the societies, the organizations that are serving them should have similar positions as they are creating education for those audiences. So, you know, looking at all of those avenues um, as potential places where you can start building that case for having uh, that executive level, if it's not exactly a CLO, a CLO type position within the organization. And I'll just add that I think that it's not so much about necessarily advocating for the position. I think you've sort of hinted at, at this, Jeff. It really is about painting the broader picture of why this matters, why it's important that learning and education be represented at the executive level, and that may or may not be in the format of the CLO role. So I think it's less around whatever arguments are, are being made within the organization. It's not so much that the goal isn't to create a CLO position that may or may not be the right answer right. to just elevating the role and the attention and uh, the scrutiny and, and the resources given to the learning and education function. Right, right. And we do fully expect to see more executive level positions uh, focused on learning, focused on education uh, going forward. That, that's something that uh, we do expect to see grow in, in associations. And of course, you know, technology is going to continue and to grow and, and, and be a part of that. So that, that really, uh, I think, brings us to the, the end of the, the major lingering questions that, uh, that we had from the webinar. We're certainly you know, open to, to folks uh, emailing us, contacting us with questions. If you were in the webinar and still you know, haven't heard an answer to something you were looking for, or if you were just listening to this podcast and, and have something else you'd like a, an answer for, um, we're certainly open to, to doing that. Um, you can contact us, uh, again, by going to the show notes, uh, leadinglearning.com forward slash episode 18, and uh, you'll see you know, a contact contact link there to, to get to us. Um, before we wrap up today, we, you know, we've been talking about um, learning and technology throughout this episode. And one of the things that, um, that we announced during the webinar was the fact that we are going to have a new event that is focused specifically on learning technology and design. And in fact, we've taken the original path of uh, titling that event, Learning Technology Design. And uh, that's going to be May 18th and 19th in Arlington, Virginia. It's going to be a, a, a two-day um, uh, event. And we're bringing together you know, people from across the uh, Trade and Professional Association world to really focus uh, on learning and education as a business and the, the needs of organizations and individuals who are in 
lifelong learning as a business. And these tend to be different, you know, from corporate needs or from academic needs. Um, and we're really going to focus on, you know, how technology is changing the, the landscape, uh, how to best embrace uh, technology to enhance and enable learning for your membership base, and, and how uh, you do that while making sure you're delivering a great learning experience um, that you're designing uh, great experiences. So if you're listening here, we hope you or you know other, others in your organization will uh, consider joining us for Learning Technology Design, which we're calling LTD for short. And you can find out all the details on LTD at ltd.leadinglearning.com. And we just want to say thank you again to YM Learning for sponsoring the uh, Association Learning Plus Technology Report and the webinar that we did around that report as well. And um, YM Learning is also going to be one of the sponsors of LTD. And so while you're at leadinglearning.com slash episode 18, we um, hope that you'll take a look at the various options for subscribing to the podcast if you don't already subscribe and if you're getting value out of the podcast we would be uh, truly grateful if you would subscribe and as also uh, as always we'd also be grateful if you'd uh, take a minute just to give us a, a rating on iTunes um, you just go to leadinglearning.com forward slash iTunes and uh, you know you can leave a star you can leave a, a written rating there and um, we really appreciate that it you know makes a world of difference in kind of raising our, our ranking there and making sure people can uh, find us and you know it just makes us feel good too that people are listening and, and uh, we'll take the time to, to comment and we also hope you might consider telling others about the podcast. If you know um, colleagues who might also get value from this, you can send out a tweet by going to leadinglearning.com slash share. And if tweeting doesn't happen to be your thing, you can pick uh, whatever social network uh, happens to uh, fit your preferences. So that's it for this episode. Thanks again. And we will see you next time on the Leading Learning Podcast. Okay.